He is very good. Praise God. Well, this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about a story of a, a young man who attended my university. You can throw up on the screen. This is Charlie Reynolds. You got that up there for me? There he is. He's a pretty good-looking guy, huh? He played football in high school, um, but he didn't know Jesus for most of high school. Um, this young man grew up mostly in a family and with friends who were non-believers. How many of you have done that? Did you grow up like that? Yeah, some of you were just like him. I was like that too. They were non-believers in Jesus. They were non-believers in God. Faith was not important to them. There were other things that were important to them. And he said he heard about Christ, and he knew there was a God, but he, he didn't know really why that really mattered. And he said he didn't know what God had done for him. He, he knew, though, that he had a deep hunger inside him. A deep hunger for something more. Do you have a deep hunger inside of you? Did you, before you found Christ, have a deep hunger for something more? I know I did. I'm assuming you did too. It was his junior year of high school that he had a breakthrough of faith, though. One of his football teammates, you gotta thank God for football. Let's give God a hand for football. All right. One of his football teammates invited him to church. Uh, he said when his friend asked him, he was nervous because he didn't know really what to expect, but he decided he would go. And he said what started as a morning service turned into an all-day event. That can happen sometimes. He said concluding with an evening service where he accepted Jesus as Lord of his life. What a difference a day makes. Wow, what a difference. He said, he goes, I'm not exaggerating when I say that my conversion was radical. Before that day, I knew nothing about God. I came out on the other side with an insatiable desire to fervently love Jesus and to share the gospel with everyone. I wanted them to know what I knew. It was like a fire was ignited within me. And I found what I had been looking for. Love that story. It never gets old to hear those stories of transformation. Moving into a relationship with Jesus and having a radical change to your mission and your vision for your life, it may, not has, has, it may not have come as hot and quick for you as it did for Charlie. But God wants to move in your life and bring fire to it and change and renewed vision just like he did for Charlie. He wants to do it for all of us. He wants to do it because we who worship the Lord Jesus we are to be carriers and witnesses of the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That's a part of our, the vision for our life, part of our mission. He's Lord of all, and we are to proclaim that to others around us. So we carry this, this good news message, and we carry it with us in all walks of life. And we carry this message to lost people in a lost world, that there is peace in Jesus who is Lord of all. There is peace only in Jesus because he is Lord of all. So if you had a Bible, I want you to go back to the passage we've been looking at the last few weeks, Acts chapter 10. And uh, you know that this chapter is huge. So much in it, and so much in it for the church. So much in it for the individual believer. Everything has changed in Acts chapter 10. Before this time, Gentiles... You know, there may have been the Ethiopian eunuch who came to Christ. 
But the, the ministry of the church had been very sparse to the Gentiles. It's been mostly Jews or religious Jews or people that grew up in the Jewish community that have come to Christ. But now there's a turn. Now, a new group of people are going to be brought into the church because Jesus died for this new group of people. They're all men, all Gentiles. Everyone who's a non-Jew is accepted into God's kingdom and God's going to win them. But he's got to win them through us. So there's been a major change that's happened in the life of the Apostle Peter. He had a vision, right? And in that vision, he saw, he saw a picture, a video picture that rolled three times. And then he heard a voice that said, don't call anything unclean that I call clean, Peter. Don't do it. And he realized that this wasn't just about food. This was about people. And then the Spirit spoke to him again and said, there are going to be some men that are going to come to get you. And these men, you must go with them because I have sent them. And these were Gentile men that God sent to come get him, to take him back to Gentile people, to tell them the good news. And at the same time, while Peter's having these visions and, and, and getting this new revelation, there's a Gentile named Cornelius that's getting the same thing. And he's finding out he'd been a good man, right? He had given uh, generously to, to those in need. He prayed regularly. He was a God-fearer, even though he was a Roman centurion. So he was a good religious man. But this good religious man needed something more. And so God was speaking to him in a vision as well and calling him to say, go get Peter. And then bring him back and listen to everything he has to say. And you know that Cornelius did that, and Cornelius didn't only do that. Cornelius filled his house with all of his friends and family. Because a lot of them were, were God-fearers too, because Cornelius had a vision to spread his faith among them. And so they all gathered to hear what Peter had to say. So now we want to read what Peter has to say as God's witness. So read it with me, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Every other religion of the world has shown partiality and favoritism. This was the first time that anyone ever said God is no respecter of men anymore. There, there, is, there is something else that makes them right before God. And so here he goes on. And he says, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John the Baptist preached. And that was a baptism of repentance from sin and be prepared because the one is coming. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God, God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God already cho had chosen, by, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. We don't often see Jesus as judge, do we? But he's now judge. He cares about truth, and he knows how to judge justly. He's the judge of the living and the dead. There's no one else as judge of the living and the dead. It's Jesus. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit that had been poured out even on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water and being brought into the kingdom and giving that testimony to the world that they are disciples. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Just as the apostles did in the upper room. They received it. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with him, with them for a few more days. He stuck around. Wow, what a great passage of scripture. A day when the whole house of Cornelius, along with him, came to Christ. A day when they could share, just as Charlie shared, and just like some of us could share, that one day I was this, and now this day I am this, and I have changed. I have found what I have been looking for. In fact, it found me. We want to consider some important truths here in this passage, truths that should shape our vision for our lives, and especially our lives as witnesses of Jesus on mission with him, because he's calling us to join him as his witnesses. So we want to take a look at a few things that are kind of, a few observations from this passage that are important for us to get. Here's the first. In the whole book of Acts, I hope you've noticed something. I, I want you to know something, as well as in this chapter, in every movement of this chapter, guess what? You can see, can't you? God is directing, he's leading, and he's initiating each movement along the way. Do you see that? It's God's role to do that. And God is doing that. And people are, by faith, are choosing to respond, or they have the choice to not respond. There was a marketing campaign that maybe some of you remember back in the early 2000s. It was uh, a campaign that was began by uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And there were other Christian groups that were a part of it. And they had a simple slogan that they began to just plaster everywhere. Right? They put it on flyers, they put it on t-shirts, they put it on billboards, they put it everywhere. Do you remember what that slogan was? It was two words. Or actually three. I found it. Anybody remember that? Oh, man, it was all over in the West Coast. Okay, so maybe it was just a West Coast thing. It was I found it. And they put it everywhere. And they kept it under wraps. And they didn't let people know that they were doing it and what it meant and what it was about. So it got a lot of high school and a lot of college campuses just talking and wondering, what is it they found? What's it? After so many weeks of plastering up everywhere, they then came out with it and said, 
what we found, the it is Jesus Christ. The it is Jesus Christ. Now, it's real questionable, to be honest with you, because I was around at that time, and, you know, we heard about it, about how many folks were really truly affected that came to Christ because of it. How many people found God? You know, it, it created a stir, but did it create converts for Jesus? Do we really find Jesus? Or might it other, be the other way around? We sang this morning about finding stuff, and then we sing about him finding us. Which is it? Do we find him, or does he find us? None of the characters I'm here to tell you in Acts chapter 10, nor in the rest of the book of Acts, none of them changed, none of them found God at their own initiative. Do you know that? Write that down. That's our first point. All conversions begin with God's initiative through the Holy Spirit. They didn't find God at their own initiative. God found them. It's the other way around. God met them and he found them at each step of the way. And he's the one who brought them to change, to be converted, to, be, to establish a new vision for themselves in their lives. He's the one who called them out. They just didn't come up with it because they were, you know, I'm just, you know, a seeker of truth. And I'm just such a good person that I'm looking for God. No. In fact, you know from Scripture, you've been around in the church long enough that says, we didn't love God, but God loved us first. And we love God because he loved us first. It's the same is true about it. If you found God, you didn't find him because you found him. You found him because you met him. Because he, he was there and he was finding you. He was finding you and you were finally ready to respond to him. See, I think the important questions that we need to ask, as I seek God and as I look for God in prayer and in meditation of his word, I've got to ask myself this. Where is God initiating? Where is God initiating in my life? That's the question to ask. That's what God wants us to ask. Where is God initiating in my life? Where is he moving in my life or in another person's life? Where is he moving? What is he directing me to do? See, what is it? And when I recognize him and then I see him moving, then I've got to follow I've got to join him in what he's doing. But you and all, I know what it's like as human beings. God will show us himself. He'll show us where he's moving. He'll show us what he's doing. And we'll resist at first. Don't worry. Remember, Peter resisted at first. Ha! No, God. Not going to go eat those things. I'm sorry. Man, I'm pretty much a meat and potatoes guy, you know? I'm not going to be eating these other lizards and insects and things because I've never done that. I've stayed clean. And God said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. You know, it's more than just food. It's about people. And you can now fellowship with them because I am moving there and I am touching them. So you be involved with this. Peter resisted. Maybe you've resisted. But we have to ask ourselves, where have we noticed? 
And if, we, if God has shown us where he's moving, and he's shown us where he wants to work in our lives and what he wants to say, and we've resisted it, we need to stay there until we obey that. We need to repent of our resistance and say, I'm sorry, I didn't trust you, but now I do. Because you can't really move on until you fix that. And you get that right. You can't just keep going. You gotta go back and say, I'm sorry. I resisted you, I was wrong, and now I commit myself to following you. He's Lord. That's what has to happen to follow him. But just know this, all conversions, all change in life, all renewal of vision happens because God has initiated through his Holy Spirit. And he's done it first. So he's out in front of us. That's a good thing. All we got to do is look for him. All we got to do is be willing to accept and receive. Here's the second thing we have to see here about renewing vision and how we're going to be witnesses for Christ. In our world, many people believe that if you're religious, you're going to be saved from the penalty of all your wrong and your sin and have eternal life. If, if I have not seen that once, I've seen it a million times. People, you know, on a movie or whatever, uh, well, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll see you in heaven. This person lived like hell, and then you're going to, at, his, at their funeral, you're going to say, well, I'll see you in heaven. Is that too much truth for people? I hope not. See, it's not honest. It's not honest. I had people I loved who were not necessarily what you call good people, but I loved them dearly, and they loved me. I'm not going to see them in heaven because they didn't choose that and didn't want that. So just because a person is a good person, a religious person, they're not necessarily saved. Just because you go to church and do more good than bad, um, you think you have a hope for heaven, you think you've earned the right to go to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not true. And we've got to tell people it's not true, but that's what we live in. We live in a religious world. Our passage makes it clear through Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man. He was God-fearing. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly. In fact, God sent an angel to talk to him in a vision. He was that much of a good guy. But this angel told him he needed to be told the good news message by which he and his whole household would be saved. He was not saved yet. You see? He wasn't there yet. He was on his way, but he wasn't there yet. And we need to realize that. Man, he needed to know that Jesus died on his behalf in payment for his sin. God wanted him to know that. God wanted him to know that he raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and that Jesus is Lord of all. Cornelius needed to know that. He needed to know that Jesus is appointed the judge of the living and the dead and all the prophecies of God's people have spoke about him. And they have told that everyone or anyone who believes and puts their trust in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He is the door that you walk through. He is the gate that you enter in. It's Jesus. So clearly, religion, being religious alone isn't what saves you. And we've got to let some folks know that. It's not. 
In fact, most of our examples in the book of Acts of people being converted to Christ involve religious people, right? People who are going to church all the time. People who are giving all the time. People who are in the right family. But they weren't saved. It's the blood of Jesus that saves. Say amen. amen. Shed on behalf of lost sinners. It's his blood. It's your faith in Jesus and in his sacrifice for you. It's your choice to trust him and what he has done. It's your choice that applies that blood as payment to your sin debt. It's at your choice. It's what forgives you and erases it and brings you into his kingdom, into his family, and makes you a new and restored creation. It's by putting your faith in what he's done and, and then receiving the power and the infilling of his Holy Spirit to make you new. It's in the blood. It's in accepting that. I hope you notice something. That Cornelius and his friends and his family, they listened to everything the Lord commanded Peter to tell them. They were attentive. However, upon Peter's final words in his message in verse 43, I'll look back in verse 43 again. There is a transaction that's taking place. Peter's not forcing him. He's not making him. But they realize something has to be done here. So there's a transaction that's taking place between everyone in this audience and God. And this transaction is what changed them forever. Peter says this in verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They're sitting back. Huh. What did I just hear? That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. In hearing that, they recognize something. There's God. They recognize something. There's my responsibility. Here's my God-given opportunity to respond. Here's my God-given opportunity to receive forgiveness for my sins. To receive everything that God Almighty has for me. To be made a new creation and have eternal life. Here's my opportunity. And it's my re responsibility to choose it. And they did. They responded. And then all heaven broke loose, right? The Holy Spirit fell like a upon them. And they were praising God. Well, why? Because they were saved. They'd made the decision. They didn't wait for Peter to tell them what to do or to, or to encourage them or to play uh, 30 versions of just as I am to come down to the altar and accept them. No, they, they accepted it. They received it. And because of it, the spirit fell. Wow. These religious good people needed to be saved. Jesus, help us. And unless they are saved, they are not going to be forgiven. And they would have never gone anywhere. But man, praise the Lord, they responded. Here's the third thing. Do you have that vision? And do you see that? That's the second thing. Religious people need to be saved. And they need saving. Good people, too. Well, here's the third thing in our vision about being witnesses. Peter understood from his earlier vision in chapter 10 that God is no respecter of persons. He's quite the opposite. God desires that all persons be saved. We sometimes wonder about that. Sometimes our theology kind of gets us to wonder about that. 
Are some people just destined to die and be separated from God and not be saved? Well, I'm here to tell you something. You leave that in God's hands. I leave that in God's hands. I'm going to go with what God says and his word says. <laughs> How many of you deserve to be saved? Right? If we know we didn't deserve it, then the people who don't deserve it deserve it too. They deserve to be saved. Amen. I don't know if I got that out right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Amen. I want you to listen to this. God desires that all persons be saved. Hear God's word. And there are three scriptures that will be up on the board. And these are scriptures, some of them, most of them we all know. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He loves the world. Our stinking, lousy world he loves. I'm serious. The world I gripe about, or maybe you gripe about as we watch it on the news, or, or get out there and have someone cut us off, or, or whatever we experience where you can't take things back to, you know, that story you can't take it back to now. God loves that world. And he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loved the world, all the world. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. How many people? All people. That's what he wants. But he's going to let you decide and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. There's only one. It's the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. It's been witnessed to. We must tell people it's been witnessed to. This is the way. This will change your life if you'll receive it. This will put you in line with receiving eternal life, with knowing your creator, with being able to live for what really matters in this life right here. But you've got to know it. And then 2 Peter 3, 9 Love this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There will come a time when sin will be judged. It will be too late then. It's not too late now. It's not too late now. Praise God for that. The Lord is patient. God has not predestined some people to be saved and others to be lost. I'm not going to go with that. So there you go. Just told you that. And I'm going to stand on God's word. But I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Because he knows more than I know. I just know what he's told me. And I know that he's saved some pretty lousy people. Myself included. He can save you and your friends and your family too. Amen? Amen? Amen. The good news is for all people and all people groups, that's the second thing. Have that vision. Carry that vision with you as a witness. All people and all people groups, they need to, even though they may reject you, share it with them. Let them know. They need to know. And lastly, here it is. And I love it in this book because it was kind of interesting. You, all of a sudden you have them accept the gospel, they get filled with the Spirit, 
And this book of Acts, along with our, our, our chapter here, they, it shows something. And it shows it time and time again, that the gospel begins with our need to repent and believe in Jesus. And then the gospel, the same gospel message, it'll end with the immersion in the waters of baptism. So baptism is a part of our gospel message. It is, and it's an important part. We're not saved because we were baptized. No, but it's part of our witness of being witnesses and being changed. It's a part of the gospel. Baptism is to always be a part of the message of Jesus. Always. So don't ever let it fall. In the New Testament and in every apostolic sermon, it comes as the logical conclusion to the gospel. It's like the, the end part of the gospel. It's the result of the gospel. And it's the result of the gospel for a few reasons. One, Jesus commanded all believers to be baptized. We are told in Matthew 28, 18, or 19 through 20, that we're to make, to make disciples of all nations. We're to teach them everything about Christ, and we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all part of that mission, that message. And it, we've been commanded. It hasn't been suggested. It's not just a good guideline. We're commanded. Number two, baptism. In baptism, a believer is identified with Jesus' message, and it goes public as his disciple. Jesus was baptized. He identified with humanity and humanity's need for repentance. And he went public as the Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. He went public on that day that he was baptized. So he or she who publicly is baptized forsakes all other gods and lords and idols and allegiances that they have made. And they, they demonstrate their abandonment of all those things to serve Christ alone as their one and only Lord and Savior. That's what it witnesses to. I am now going to live a new life. I now have a new identity. I'm a disciple. Number three, though, baptism illustrates also the way a Christian is to live their new life in Christ. As a disciple is being placed down into the water, they are dying. It symbolizes that they're dying to their sin. And just as Christ died to cover our sins. And the way a believer comes back out of the water is not by their own strength, but by the power of the person doing the baptizing, illustrating that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that raises us to life and makes us a new creation. It also indicates and shows how we are to live our life, no longer by our own strength and our own best thinking, but in submission and obedience and by faith in the power of God, in the truth of God to lead and guide us. We'll no longer live on our own. So there's no question in our passage that baptism was an important part of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. No question that it wasn't the culmination of the message of the gospel. However, in our day, there can be a tendency in some circles to kind of treat baptism as optional or at the discretion of the individual believer. Oh, you know, you can not do it or do it, or you can do it this way. But the Bible never gives us that option. It never says it's optional. It's a natural 
culmination of a decision to respond to Jesus as Lord. It's the natural culmination of a person who has received forgiveness of sin, who has been made a new creation by the Holy Spirit, and who has decided to live in submission to his lordship and the power of the Spirit. Baptism is not optional. I'm here to say today. It's not. It's a must. It's vital in our gospel presentation. And it's an important step in shaping and renewing our vision on how we live our life and how we accomplish our mission as witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's important. So I want to make that, that statement. It matters. As we close this morning in our discussion of renewing our vision and, and being witnesses of good news of Jesus, you would agree with me, I'm sure, that there are people all around us who need to know that there is forgiveness for sin. There is peace for their mind and their life. And there is power to be freed and changed in this life and the next. And it comes through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's who they need to know. And that's who they need to acknowledge and meet. All they must do is believe and receive the forgiveness he offers in his name and come under his lordship and they will be saved. They will be saved. They won't be perfect yet, right? They'll still be working on that. They'll still be trying to be made a disciple. They'll be on that road, but they will be saved. And we're to be witnesses of that message. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, and he's come to do it before it's too late. And he's asked us to be a part of that. There's only love right now. Only love in the heart of God for you and the lost this morning. There is only love and grace for us all. I want you to consider kind of some excerpts from, as I close, from the words of Zach Williams' song that remind us of the heart of God, of where God is right now. And, and I hope it inspires you to get on board with his gospel message and get on mission with it but I hope it also blesses you to know this is where the Lord is and what he thinks of you right now. Because I would say that it's consistent with what Scripture and the apostles were teaching. I want you to just to, to read just a few. And if you, how many people know the song, Heart of God, by Zach Williams? All right, if you haven't heard it, you can listen to it. If you like a little more jazzy, kind of southern, jazzy rock sound, that's him. He's got a great voice like that. I want you just to listen or, or read some of the words. He says this, I know you're hurting. I can see it in your eyes. So pull back the curtain and take off your disguise. Whoever told you, you ain't worth the fight. The cross tells a story that'll change your mind. Because there's only love in the heart of God. No room for shame in his open arms. There's beauty for ashes. So come as you are, and there's only love in the heart of God. Come, prodigal child, it's never too late. Run home to the Father. Let him clothe you with grace. And bear your burdens, and break free from your fear. Step out of the shadows. There's no judgment here. See, it's a call to come and repent. No, and this is important. No, he's not sitting there shaking his head writing you off, leaving you lost. 
He's not sitting there shaking his head, wishing he never went to the cross. You know, I love that, that line. Jesus does not regret that action when he thinks of you and me. Isn't that good to know? He's not going, oh, son of a gun, they are such a knucklehead. Why in the world did I ever do that? You know, they don't deserve that. That's not God. He's not doing that. He's not sitting there shaking his head, writing you off, leaving you lost. He's not sitting there shaking his head. He went to that cross. He went to that cross. There's only love in the heart of God. No room for shame in his open arms. He makes beauty for ashes, from ashes, so come as you are, because there's only love in the heart of God. Have you taken advantage of this wonderful gift that is waiting for you? Have you taken advantage of this gift of the gospel by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by repenting of your sin, by receiving his presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, by walking in obedience and witness in baptism? Have you done that? I want you to stand with me this morning as we go to the Lord. I know God is big enough to, to meet you where you are, and you respond to him. Amen. If you need someone to pray with you, either to accept Christ or to, uh, to help you take the next step if you feel that, or to pray with you to share with somebody who's lost the gospel, um, you can come forward for prayer. But let's close in prayer together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you, God, one, just for your work in making the hearts of Cornelius and his family and his friends soft to respond to you. Thank you, Lord, that they recognized. Thank you, God, that they repented in the midst of your presence. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Father, that they submitted to the command to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They didn't question it. They didn't resist it. They walked in the fullness of the gospel because they were willing. Thank you for that. Thank you. There is only love in your heart today. Help us to see that as we share the gospel and the good news with those around us. And we know that because you love us so much, you're patient, and you are taking your time to come back. We also know, God, that you are the judge of the living and the dead, Lord Jesus. And when you come, the time of grace will be complete. Lord Jesus, we ask in your name that you would pour grace out on our loved ones and our friends who need to know you as the Lord and Savior. Give us words to say. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit present as we say it and bring them to the knowledge of the truth that they would be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. We pray that there would be more stories just like Charlie's, just like ours, that we would add to those stories this year as a church body. So Lord, begin that mission, begin the renewal of that vision in us, in each of us, and make us effective to your glory. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, and save. Continue to go after and save the lost, and to seek the lost. We ask this in Jesus' name. So we love you, Lord God. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for knowing each person's heart here today. 
that you've accepted them, that they've repented, you've accepted them, if they've acknowledged you as Lord for the very first time, thank you that you are making them a new creation. And so God bless them and help them to tell others about the choice they made. And then we pray, God, for those that need to be baptized, we pray that you would encourage them and motivate them and uh, cause them to come together that we can do a baptism soon as a church body. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen.